This is B-Side. I'm Tamara Keith. And while we're venturing through the archives, you can determine what the next new edition of B-Side will be about. On our website, if you go there right now, bsideradio.org, that's the letter B-S-I-D-E radio.org, you can find a, a posting. It says, choose your own adventure. And we want to know what you think the next theme should be. Here are your options. Childhood dreams or dreaming, awkward moments, search and discovery, success and failure, dust yourself off and try again, rules to live by, run-ins with the law, and roadblocks and milestones. Those are your options. When we get to 100 votes, as soon as we get to 100 votes, the top vote-getting show theme idea will be our next show. So please, go to bsideradio.org. That's the letter B, S-I-D-E, radio.org. Good morning. I'm Lissa Mudd, and you're listening to B-Side. This month, we take a look at the way things work, everything from vacuums to parking meters. They put everything else in here but money. We'll also get a lesson in dumpster diving and meet a dad who takes tinkering to a new level as On the Record flips to the B-side. There's something satisfying about knowing how everyday things work and being able to fix them yourself. With that in mind, the B-side crew decided to take on a mission – changing the oil in my 1990 Honda Accord. Sparky. Now, to some people, that might not sound like such a big deal. But Mia, Tamara, and I had never done it before. We were Jiffy Lube people, but we were determined to change that. The first step was getting some equipment and advice at the auto parts store. So I guess we're going to have to go back to my house to change the oil here because there's a notice saying working on vehicles in the parking lot is not allowed. Especially if you're incompetent. The three of us did have a basic idea of what we needed to do. Drain the old oil out, replace the filter, and fill her up. Inside the store, we headed for the oil changing aisle. Well, here's a um, oil pan. Oil filter. We should get one of these. Oil filter wrench. Oh. Oh. Here's what my car owner's manual had to say. The oil filter cannot easily be removed from above the engine. For this reason, it is recommended that the oil filter change be done by a skilled mechanic. Not exactly encouraging. We decided to seek some professional advice. They say it should only be done by a skilled mechanic. Do you think we can do it? Of course. Anybody can work on a car. It's just about, you know what I'm saying, your determination and just trying to complete whatever it is that you're trying to do, the task. So we're changing the oil in her car. Do you have any um, advice? Hard work. Just make sure you know what you're doing. Don't be afraid to get dirty. That advice also applies to dumpster diving. The Bay Area is one of the country's most expensive places to live, but you can save and even make some money if you don't mind sneaking around in the middle of the night and picking through trash. Besides, Dave Gilson presents The Art of Dumpster Diving for Fun and Profit. Carolyn Zalanka and her boyfriend Ben Diley like to talk trash. I got together with them around 11 o'clock on a rainy San Francisco night to cruise the outer mission on a quest for the perfect dumpster. 
After driving around for a while, they found what they were searching for, a big white dumpster. And it looked like someone had emptied half the contents of their home into it. This is the truly exciting moment as you approach the unfamiliar dumpster because you think, what wonders does it hold? It could be anything or nothing. This is awesome. This is a good one. Carolyn and Ben have a few tips for beginning dumpster divers like me. First, wear gloves and old clothes and bring a bag to carry what you find. And don't forget a flashlight. Um, the flashlight is definitely a good idea since uh, most of the dumpster diving does occur at night, um, partly because I, I'd be way too embarrassed to, to go through a dumpster during the day. And, and partly... When it comes to going through trash, Carolyn and Ben have different strategies. Carolyn hovers around the edges of the dumpster, peers into it with a flashlight, and reaches in only when she sees something good. Uh, I'm interested in these clothes over here. But first, I have to remove what is covering them up, which is this chair. Which, oh, this is, oh, this is cute. It's a little chair on wheels. Ben, on the other hand, just dives right in. I found him crouched at the bottom of the dumpster, wearing a mink stole he just found, smoking a cigar, and methodically examining everything he picked up like an archaeologist. And, and this is, I guess, what keeps one coming back for more, is just uh, wondering... What in heaven's name will one unearth yet? They have some other tips, too. Don't eat anything you find in the trash. And be quiet so you don't wake up the neighbors. And if anyone does give you a hard time, remind them that dumpster diving may not be pretty, but it is completely legal. I have researched this. I've, I've looked up the co- California Code and the laws and, and uh, found out there is no law against going through people's trash. So far, Caroline and Ben haven't gotten in any trouble. They figure it's because they don't fit the stereotype of scavengers as homeless or hungry. They're both clean-cut college grads in their 30s, and they never imagined they'd end up spending a couple nights a week doing this. Uh, This whole thing kind of started out last winter when uh, I got laid off from a job at an ad agency and, um, you know, was just trying to see what uh, I could do to make some money. Um, But I didn't at all think of dumpster diving as a way to make money. You know, it was... You know, just a way to save money, I guess. What started out as a way to get free firewood and the odd piece of furniture turned into a fun hobby and a profitable business. Carolyn now makes as much as $1,000 a month selling what she finds on the Internet. Back at Carolyn and Ben's apartment, you can see the fruits of their labor. They live in a tiny one-bedroom place in Noe Valley. The living room has been transformed into a Victorian salon, complete with antique molding, gilded picture frames, and velvet fringe, all found on the street. In fact, every corner of their apartment is filled with remarkable things that someone considered trash. Nice little uh, Apple laptop, PowerBook 180. Check this out, okay. This is a 16-millimeter camera. A case of pre-embargo Cuban cigars. I have beetle boots that we found. In black and brown. Meals ready to eat. Yes, we found a whole okay, box of them. October 1968, <laughs> which makes them about two months older than I am. Oh. There it is. And it's a vibrator. I mean, it's like the coolest thing in the world. Sure enough, it's a contraption from the 1950s called the Stimulax Junior. And it appears to be in perfect working order. And the pièce de résistance, or my favorite thing we ever found, is this old... Uh, old radio console. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a 1938 uh, Silvertone. As you can see, it's in very good condition. It's. Um... They've heard stories about other dumpster divers finding wads of cash, diamonds, even letters signed by Abe Lincoln. They're not sure if any of this is true, 
but it makes them wonder why anyone would throw this kind of stuff out. This is where Ben's Harvard education comes in handy. There is this odd. I'm gonna have to use this word. You want to slap me? Okay. There's this narrativity、uh, that's、uh, ow. Okay, I'll do it again. Then that that inheres in the dumpster. Back on the street, the dumpster wasn't giving up too many narrative clues. I mean, what kind of person would put a bunch of baby clothes and a soggy copy of the Happy Hooker in the same load of trash? I didn't see much I could imagine putting in my living room, but Carolyn and Ben made out all right. They found the mink stole, a couple pairs of glasses, an unopened bottle of booze, a copy of Mao's Little Red Book in what looked like Hungarian, and an old typewriter that Carolyn could fix up and sell. Not bad, but it was just a small sample of what Carolyn says is out there. I have never seen the quality and variety and abundance of of goods that is left are left on the street in dumpsters or or whatever that I have here in San Francisco. So the next time you pass a dumpster, take a peek inside. Who knows what you'll find? For B side, I'm Dave Gilson. Tamara and I got back to my house feeling optimistic. Then we looked at my car. How are you going to fit under the car? How are you going to get under the car? <laughs> Mia's lying down on the ground right now, trying to look under the car. And it's true. That's not humanly possible. But Mia gave it a try anyway. I'm going in. Oh, this is really tight. My face is like right up against the car. Squeezing under the car was only the first step. Next, we had to find the drain plug. Oh, I see it! I think this is it. Is it next to any sort of like a little knobby thing that you turn to make oil come out? A knobby thing that you turn to make oil come out. Most of us don't pay much attention to how these things work. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about your vacuum cleaner? To some, this is the sound of procrastination. To others, it's therapy. Vacuum cleaners are one of the great conveniences of modern life, until they stop working. Claudine Zapp finds out how and why vacuum cleaners suck. My vacuum cleaner is an upright turbo power Hoover wind tunnel. It was a gift, and it's somewhat of a mystery to me. Although I use it for my weekly house cleaning, and it certainly does the job. I'm pretty helpless if anything goes wrong. I can't even change the bag without assistance. All I know is I use it to suck up everything in sight. But I admit, if it can't be fixed with duct tape, I'm doomed. So I wondered, am I the only one out there who's vacuum cleaner challenged? On my way home from work one day, I walked by the Berkeley Vacuum Center, a place that's been in the repair business for 60 years, and decided to check out how other people deal with their equipment. Turns out I'm not alone. Gerald at the vacuum center has seen my type before. Take Nicholas, a young woman who enters the store this afternoon with several pieces of a green and white Eureka vacuum cleaner that looks like it's seen better days. Okay, so we have a we have an operating vacuum. It's making the right sounds.、Uh, you are missing some parts.、Uh, you have your little accessories on the top. You need to get a few extras out. Your belt needs to be replaced, also. Yeah. So that's pretty that. easy stuff. <laughs> This is how Gerald makes his living: restoring suction to hopeless case vacuums. He walks to the back of the store and returns minutes later with the missing parts. 
Nicholas, who brought in the vacuum cleaner, is amazed. We were going to get a new one, but now we don't need to. (laughs) Gerald doesn't always enjoy such a positive response. While he gets a thrill to fix what's broken, his customers aren't always happy with the results. We always say it's good news, bad news. The good news is your vacuum cleaner now works. The bad news is now you've got to go home and use it. I decide it's time for me to come clean with Gerald. I admit to him that sometimes I vacuum up stuff off the floor. I know I shouldn't. Oh, so you're the one. <laughs> We've been wondering when you'd come in. When it comes to vacuum cleaner no-nos, Gerald's seen it all. In fact, he has a list. We found spiders and spider nests. We've also found live ones. Uh, live spiders. Uh, we've also found a scorpion. Now the scorpion was dead. Ballpoint pens and pencils, uh, drill bits, uh, screws and nails and mud and grease, uh, wads of paper. Everybody, you know, thinks their vacuum cleaners can ingest huge wads of paper. They don't. Uh, For the record, Gerald recommends that you do not vacuum any of these things up. Although it does keep business brisk. Not everyone feels the need to frequent a repair shop. Uh, my name is Kate Bochelle. I bought my first vacuum cleaner of my very own in 1991. It cost $40. Kate and I go way back. Her ability to repair stuff has never ceased to amaze me. And she really knows her way around a vacuum. Kate doesn't need someone like Gerald to tell her when a little invasive surgery is required. Like, I, I was noticing it was losing its sucking power, and I was not getting the... the uh, spanky cleanness that I I love so much from vacuuming and and I was getting really frustrated and I would you know check the roller to make sure everything was was out of that and and uh check the hose and and everything seemed to be okay up to a certain point and then there would be no more suction roller hose what are these things vacuum repair centers everywhere beware when Kate's vacuum cleaner stops working failure is not an option she'll even create her own vacuum cleaner tools we had to, to do some surgery on the vacuum cleaner where we, my roommate and I fashioned uh, a reaching stick out of a hanger that very much resembled those, I don't know if you've ever seen the instruments that Egyptians used to use to pull brains out of corpses' noses before they mummified it. It was very similar in that. And we just would thread it all the way down the hose. And that didn't pull, work. You know, so Kate got out her screwdriver and took the vacuum cleaner apart. She dug out the real culprit a number two unsharpened, full-size Ticonderoga pencil. It had gotten stuck so nothing could get past, trapping dog hair, cat fur, lint, and dust, which then created a perfect vacuum seal, literally. And we just pulled that out, and it's been working great since then. While I have to admit I was inspired by her story, and I mean, who wouldn't be, it still isn't enough to make me delve inside the belly of my vacuum. And given my track record, I'll probably be back at Vacuum Repair for a little help from Gerald. For B-Side, I'm Claudine Zapp. You're listening to Calyx 90.7. Stick around as On the Record flips to the B-Side. Squeezing under my car and finding the right bolt was actually pretty easy. Our biggest challenge was getting the bolt loose. Mia went first. So I need the uh, oil pan. Oil pan! Okay, wrench. Wrench. 
What is it? Lefty Lucy? Yeah, Lefty Lucy, Righty Tidy. Wait, I don't know which way is left. I'm definitely loosening the bolt. No, you know what? I'm not loosening the bolt. <laughs> Mia had the right bolt, and she was even turning it in the right direction, but it just wouldn't budge. So Tamara tried next. Okay, so I totally saw that bolt before. Where is it? It's that? further back. It looks like it's moving a little bit. Is it not moving? This is supposed to be not the hard part. <laughs> but as it turns out, it was the hard part. After about 45 minutes of trying to get the bolt loose, we gave up. Sometimes fixing things isn't as easy as breaking them. Anyone who's parked in Berkeley has seen them. Meters flashing fail, fail, fail. A recent study found that about 80% of these failing meters aren't broken, but jammed by vandals. That may be good news for parkers, but not for the city. No matter what the problem, if there's a malfunctioning meter south of campus, there's one man who will end up fixing it. Besides, Tamara Keith talked with him and brings us this glimpse at what makes parking meters work and not work. I'm driving along, looking for a place to park. Someone pulls out of a space on Bancroft near Dana, and I swoosh in to grab the space. I dig through my purse to find enough change to last a couple of hours, pop out of the car, go up to the meter, and the little digital readout is flashing the word fail. And I'm thinking, score, free parking. At least that's what I thought until I met City of Berkeley meter mechanic Michael McKinney. If you were to come across a broken meter, like, outside of work, would you go, yeah, free parking? Not really, because because I do it, so it's, it's, it's not really that exciting to me. As most people would be, oh, free parking, free parking. It's just like, oh, another broken meter. McKinney is one of Berkeley's three meter mechanics. Every day he drives around in a city van looking for broken meters, and he agreed to take me along for the ride. And now we're going into the area that I hate to go in. And it all starts on Durant. Durant Street is right in the middle of McKinney's Beat. Around here, it doesn't take much to find a malfunctioning meter. They're everywhere. This street here is <laughs> always vandalized. Me and another mechanic, we could come through here in the morning, around 9.30, get through about quarter 11, come back after lunch. Half of the meters are jammed again. McKinney parks his van on College Avenue, a couple of blocks from the Cal campus, and shows me what has become a daily routine in his life, pulling junk out of the coin slots in Berkeley's parking meters. Using an odd-shaped key, McKinney opens up the meter head. He pulls out the coin slot mechanism and uses a thin metal stick to clear out the slot. And that's what it takes. A little piece of paper like that to jam it up. And it's not just paper. McKinney says he's found some pretty weird stuff jammed in the coin slots. Paper clips, bubble gum, candy, epoxy, glue. The list just goes on and on. It's, it's really no surprise to find it mostly anything. I mean, screws, bent pennies, cut pennies, branches, wood. Whatever they can put in the coin slot to jam it up to make it go fail, that's what they use. McKinney saves all the paper clips he pulls out of the meters, slipping them into his chest pocket. These I usually collect. You got a whole bunch of them. I got a whole bunch of paper clips. He says paper clips are among the most popular jamming devices, 
Large ones need only be slipped into the coin slot to make the meter flash fail, while smaller clips have to be unwrapped and twisted. For McKinney, the vandalism is a major inconvenience. He has desk work he should be doing, and meters on some blocks get neglected because the high-maintenance areas consume all of his time. But for the city of Berkeley, McKinney's inconvenience is turning into a huge expense. Once a meter is jammed, it can take hours or even days before it can be cleaned out, and that means fewer quarters for city coffers. They put everything else in here but money. That's meter money collector Stephen Charles Noriega. We ran into him as he was making his rounds, collecting coins from the meters. He says lately there haven't been that many coins to collect. Actually, it should be a lot louder than that, but since they're being jammed up, there's very seldom hardly any change in there, so you don't really get that change effect dropping into the container. That lack of coin clanking sound worked out to about a half a million dollar loss for the city last year. Meter repairman McKinney says he wishes people would just pay the 75 cents an hour it costs to park and leave him and his meters alone. He says he's constantly amazed by the lengths people will go to just to save a few quarters. Once I found a, a half of a hundred dollar bill, believe it or not, that somebody actually ripped and stuck inside of it just to jam it up. Now, I don't know if they had the other half. I'm consuming that they didn't have the other half of that $100 bill. Because <laughs> when I pulled it out, I wish I had the other half of it. The city of Berkeley is searching for ways to curb the vandalism, and officials are even hoping to hire another meter mechanic to help out McKinney. But in the meantime, he says he'll keep cleaning the gunk out of Berkeley's meters, whether he likes it or not. As for me, I'll probably keep looking for those broken meters. Hey, it's free parking after all, but I might not rejoice quite as much the next time I see a meter flashing fail. For B-Side, I'm Tamara Keith. Of course, B-Side does not condone the use of paper clips, epoxy, $100 bills, or any other junk to jam parking meters. Tamara and I had failed in our attempt to change the oil in my car. So we headed down the street to the local oil change place. Jason, who was helping us, took a look at the bolt that wouldn't budge. Seems to be a little bit rounded. Like somebody put some pliers on here. Don't seem to be a problem. Comes right off. Oh, you're kidding me! Oh, I don't see, uh, what, what was the main problem that they had? Uh, we a couldn't. simple 17 millimeter wrench. I mean, we, we just couldn't turn it. Oh, you guys try to do it yourself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Our failure was especially disappointing for Mia, whose dad can fix anything. She went home to upstate New York over the holidays to talk with him about his obsession with tinkering. This was one of the sounds of my childhood. My dad would disappear for hours at a time into the basement. He has a workshop down there hidden away behind piles of old magazines and scrap lumber. The sounds of saws and hammering, fans and power drills, would drift up through the ventilation shafts into my room. A few weeks ago, I decided to relive the memory. I hadn't been home in a while. It was my dad's birthday, and I figured I'd ask what he's been doing down there all these years. He gave me the grand tour. 
So we're now entering my world. This is where I do my work. This is where I relax. And this is where I fix things. I know most people's dads like to putz around and fix little things around the house. And I don't mean to brag, but my dad takes it to a whole new level. You'll see what I mean. Okay, here we go. We're going downstairs. Half of the basement is finished with drywall and carpeting. It holds my dad's framing studio and darkroom. The other half, cement walls and open ceilings, is crammed with power tools and layered with sawdust. We're now entering another section of my world, which is really my favorite place in the world to be. And that's, that's not a joke. This is my workshop. The shop is filled with every kind of tool you can imagine. He shows me some of his favorites. What we're looking at here is a router table, and a router is a, a wonderful machine that spins a bit at a very high rate of speed, and that bit... I was looking for a quick demo, and, and but what I got was an episode of This Old House, with a twist. Uh, this is an old pair of jockey shorts, which have been converted into a, uh, a rag, essentially. It's not that I'm not interested in hearing about his tools and the things he's fixed around the house. It's just that he's fixed everything, and he really gets into it. And here we go. Isn't that a great sound? Now, believe it or not, that sound, and you smell this? Oh, I love the smell of that wood. Believe it or not, I love that sound. That sound relaxes me. I, it's kind of hard to describe, but the, the sound of, of tools of various types on wood is just very soothing to me. And when I'm down here, I lose all track of time and space, and I'm just totally focused on what I'm doing. There's no point in trying to get his attention when he's down here. He says he's been this way his whole life. These talents didn't come completely naturally. He owns the entire Time Life series of home repair books and jokes that he's committed them all to memory. He spends a silly amount of time at Home Depot, and the only thing he watches on TV besides the Food Network is HGTV. That's home and garden television. He worships Norm Abram from the New Yankee Workshop and, of course, Bob Vila from This Old House Classics. He doesn't just watch these guys. He studies them. I'm fortunate to have the kind of mind where once I see it done, I understand how to do it. And I have very good manual dexterity, so it just translates from my eye to my hands. And he has gotten his hands into every room of the house. Going upstairs. Over here, this is one of my early projects. And this is my all-time favorite bowl. you got to feel that. Isn't that smooth? Isn't that beautiful? He's just as proud of the toilet as he is of the pieces of furniture he's made. Don't you just love that sound? Fascinating. I have replaced the interior parts of this. Notice how clean they are and how fresh. That is a new toilet mechanism. There is nothing more annoying than a drippy toilet. And he doesn't stop with our house. He fixes things for all the neighbors, too, like Barbara from down the street. He helped me when my basement flooded. He fixed a zipper on my dress the other day. He's fixed my clock. He's fixed my toilets. He has fixed everything, you name it. 
Just your friendly neighborhood repairman. Do you ever feel like you should have a cape and like a little siren? When somebody calls, you rush right over with your, your big S for Steve, of course. You know, this is something that I, I really didn't know when to tell you, but I do have that stuff. I don't want to imagine my dad in a cape and tights, but I have a sinking feeling that he wasn't entirely kidding. The thing I realized, though, is that despite all the joking and the really long descriptions of how things work around the house, what my dad was really showing me was how he works. Working with your hands is wonderful. It stimulates your mind and, uh, and I think keeps you young. You feel young? It's your birthday, right? I feel just chipper. <laughs> I feel like a spring chicken. <laughs> yeah, very young. Yes, I feel young. And getting younger, much to your mother's uh, consternation. There's one more thing you need to know about my dad. He's had about a million different jobs and never finishes a book before starting five others. But the one consistent thing has been his workshop. It's the one thing he always goes back to. And the one thing, I think, that keeps him sane. I'm an adventurous person, so I learn a lot of stuff by doing. And I make a lot of mistakes. But I'm not afraid to make mistakes. So that's... I can't tell you how many times I may have rebuilt things. In fact, that reminds me, we'll have to look at my latest weatherproofing uh, venture. Here we go again. For B-Side, I'm Mia Lobel. Getting the oil changed, we headed back to the auto parts store to return all the equipment we bought. We found the same guy who'd given us all that advice a few hours earlier. So how often does this happen that people come back and return everything because they fail? Never. Not since I've been in Kragen in my three months, I haven't seen it happen. But due to the fact that you guys are ladies, I'll give you an exception. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot. I mean, I don't mean it like that, but usually the people who come in to change their oil, they actually know what they're doing, so, you know what I'm saying, their, their mission is completed, they're successful, but since it's your first time doing everything that you guys were doing, I can understand why you would bring it back. You didn't want to go through all the hard work and labor. You'd rather just be like me, go pay somebody to do it. We, we were really trying. I mean, like, I've got grease all over my hands. Yeah, you probably did put a lot of effort, but now, you know what I'm saying, it just comes a point where you just be like, you know, forget, forget it. it. Better luck next time. If there is a next time, you'll hear about it here on B-Side. Our crew this month is Dave Gilson, Emily Gunnison, Mia Lobel, and Claudine Zapp. Tamara Keith is our senior producer. Our theme music was composed by David Kaufman. Want to learn more about B-Side? Meet the crew and listen to past shows at our website, bside-radio.org. I'm Lissa Mudd. <laughs>